my other fun lesson from college, there was a teacher named Miss Beauregard. And we had a writing class. I'm a pretty decent writer, I think. And I would always get these C's with no red markings, nothing, no explanation, just C. <laughs> and so I went and met with her. And I said, why am I getting a C with no markings? You know, I mean, I'm lowest grade in the class probably. And she's like, yeah, you're right. And she's like, can I be honest with you? I said, please. And she looked me straight in the eye. She said, I don't like you. And I said, <laughs> oh, okay. Why don't you like me? I like you. And she's like, you are conservative. You're from the South and I'm annoyed. You annoy me. I'm like, oh, and that affects my grade. She says, absolutely. <laughs> so I learned a very valuable lesson that day. If your professors don't like you, you're not getting a good grade. <laughs> and so before I'd gone to high school, somebody told me, stand up for your values and, you know, iron sharpens iron and the BS. No, they want you to regurgitate back what they're telling you. And that was a very valuable lesson, particularly in law, because no offense to judges, but they're the same way. They don't want you going in there, pissing them off about your views or what you think. You got to get inside their head and figure out what is it that they think? How can I line that up with the facts from my case and do the best possible presentation? Hey, law firm owners, welcome to the Your Practice Mastered podcast. We're your hosts. I'm MPS. And I'm Richard James. And MPS, I got to tell you, I know that I always say it's going to be a great show, but uh, we've been blessed to have some wonderful friends and clients that we've had through the years that we've watched have some serious success. And Jeff Kelly, our next guest, and I met way back when, like one of the original gangsters, right? He's one of the OGs. Back when we were at a Dave Ramsey conference together, and from there, watching his journey has been a lot of fun. So today's conversation is going to be a blast, I think. I don't know. I'm looking forward to it. How about you, Michael? Oh, I'm pumped. And, and Jeff, we appreciate you coming on. So first and foremost, thank you for taking some time to be here with us. All right. My pleasure. Yeah, no worries. Jeff, if you've watched a few of these, like I know you mentioned you had, you'll notice that at the start of each episode, we like to get to know you a little bit. So why don't you start by sharing something that maybe not everybody knows about you? I think a lot of people are really surprised when I tell them that I went to college in New York City. I am from Atlanta, Georgia. I'm eighth generation Georgia. All my extended family is from Georgia. And back in the 1980s, they used to have this Pace Picani commercial. And it was really funny. And you would read the back of the ingredients and people would read it and they'd go, where's this sauce made? New York City. That was my family's reaction when I said, I'm going to New York. <laughs> as soon as you said New York City, that commercial instantly popped into my head. New York City? Where's New yeah. York City? And then, I, but I thought what you were going to tell us, Jeff, was that you were a high school rap star. This is what I thought you were going to tell us that nobody knew about you, but maybe you didn't want me to tell everybody about that. I don't know. Actually, I, I might over embellish any of my rap experience. I was not a rap star. I definitely was, before there was Vanilla Ice. There was Def Jeff. I went to high school in Atlanta <laughs> and I did used to rap. But honestly, when I was in high school, people would walk up to me and they would say, 
what would they say? They would say, Jeff Kelly, you're a pretty good rapper for a white boy. Uh, and it <laughs> took me a long time to realize they weren't really complimenting my rap prowess. But yeah, we used to line up during in a big circle during lunch. Uh, and everybody would get in the circle and they would take turns doing break dances in the middle of the circle. And then every nice. now and then I'd go for it. I'd get in the middle of the circle. Oh, no, man, get out of here. Come on, Kelly. You're messing us up. Stop it. <laughs> it was fun. Good times. Uh, you always had awesome. the courage to go for it, though. That's what I love about you, man. You always had the courage. Absolutely. Yeah. That's the All biggest right. part of that whole thing, taking the courage. But look, we went from rap star to attorney. So, Jeff, we got to hear a little bit more about that journey. So why don't you tell everyone at least the high level, broad strokes of your journey from where you were to where you are now? So you're talking about when I first started practicing law. OK, yeah. so when I first yeah. started practicing, I worked for a few large firm filers. And got my feet wet, and I'd always had an entrepreneurial spirit, and I, I wanted to go out on my own. Finally, I got to the point where I did. And back in the old days, everybody told you, if you just work hard and you're good at what you're doing, you don't really have anything to worry about. It's, it's all going to work out, and phew, sky's the limit, right? And when I first started, the way you became successful was to get a big Yellow Page ad. The problem was that you had to wait for people to die in order for your yellow page ad to move up. And first it was a full single page ad, and then they changed it to a double page ad. And that was one way you could skip people. I went for it. As soon as I started my firm, double truck ad. Nice. And, um, we did really well starting out. I had a lot of funny stories. I, I remember my very first receptionist. She was an old lady, about 70 years old. And I have a rule, like no smoking. I'm allergic to cigarette smoke. I can't stand cigarette smoke. And one day I caught her outside and she was just puffing away. And I'm like, you told me you didn't smoke. And she's, I didn't. You drove me back to it. <laughs> so we had a lot of funny conflicts at first. And I can remember working so hard to make that phone ring. And she told this one client, He's got too many clients this month. He can't take any more. Click. And I'm like, what? what? You can't do that like ever. What's going on? And so we grew through the years. And funny story, I was praying really hard. And when, when something big is coming in my life, I, I pray hard. And I mentioned going to college in New York City. Um, I knew that what college I chose was going to have a major impact on my life. And so before I went to college, I prayed that I would have a burning bush experience, that there would be a fire set and God would speak. This is my Jeff. I love you. And this is where you're supposed to go to college. Huh. And I was a good kid in high school. I ran track and cross country. All I did was study and work. And it came time to go to college and I'd gotten into Emory. I'd gotten into Furman and it was okay. I I was toying between that Georgia Tech and I didn't have this burning bush experience. And then about February of my senior year, my cross country coach called me and said, Hey, how would you feel about going to Columbia, New York city? And I'm like, there's just one problem. Your deadline passed in January. And he's don't worry. I can get your application in. You got to do it. So I got my stuff together, sent it in. And so 
coach calls me in, I guess, about May. And he's, hey, man, I'm, I, I don't think you're going to get in. I really appreciate you putting the effort in. And I thought, I guess that's it. It's, it's not going to work out. And then a couple weeks later, I got my acceptance letter. <laughs> and he's, oh, wow, coming up for a visit. So I did. I went up there, liked it. The whole first semester while I was up there, I was so afraid somebody's going to knock on the door and say, "We are so sorry, we made a mistake. mistake. Your application got put in the wrong pile." And uh, because everybody was in shock, I I did well in high school. I was top ten percent of my class, but I was not a valedictorian. Uh I only spoke English. I got to Columbia, and it's like everybody's bilingual. Everybody's a valedictorian. Everybody they didn't just listen to music; they knew how to. Right, music. <laughs> you want to talk about a fish out of water. Oh. And I've learned that school was so good for me personally because it grew me in ways I'd never otherwise would have. And I went to my music teacher and I begged and I poured on my Southern accent and I said, I need help. I'm from the South. And I've never been to a symphony before. And they were just shocked. He's never even been to a symphony. And I got to do extra credit. And I got an A in that class. And when my friend from Colorado, who was on the football team, got a C, he was so pissed that he got a C and I got an A, right? Redneck from Atlanta gets an A and he got a C. Oh, I had so much fun with that. But the lesson I learned was you got to ask. If you need help and you're struggling... You got to ask. And sometimes you you get help. And then my other fun lesson from college, there was a teacher named Miss Beauregard. And we had a a writing class. I'm a pretty decent writer, I think. And I would always get these C's with no red markings, nothing, no explanation, just C. (laughs) And so I went and met with her. And I said, why am I getting a C with no markings? Lowest grade in the class, probably. And she's like, yeah, you're right. And she's like, can I be honest with you? I said, please. And she looked me straight in the eye. She said, I don't like you. And I said, <laughs> oh, okay. Why don't you like me? I like you. And she's like, you are conservative. You're from the South. And I'm annoyed. You annoy me. I'm like, oh, and that affects my grade. She says, absolutely. <laughs> so I learned a very valuable lesson that day. If your professors don't like you, you're not getting a good grade. And so before I'd gone to high school, somebody told me, stand up for your values and iron sharpens iron and BS. No, they want you to regurgitate back what they're telling you. And that was a very valuable lesson, particularly in law, because no offense to judges, but they're the same way. They don't want you going in there, pissing them off about your views or what you think you got to get inside their head and figure out what is it that they think? How can I line that up with the facts from my case and do the best possible presentation? And so one of the funny things I had happen once was I majored in political science and was, oh crap, I had to give this presentation in front of the whole class. And they wanted something to condemn the United States, which is totally against my core values and everything I believe in. It's like, How am I going to do this? I've got to get inside this professor's head so that I can get a good grade. Because I know if I get up there and say, God bless America, I'm sunk. Mm -hmm. And I did some research and come to find out in the first Iraq war, a lot of those bullets that were hitting our guys were made in America. We had aided 
Iraq before the Iran-Iraq war, we had loaded them up. And, oh, I just went to town on that. It was terrible that we gave all this aid to this guy. And blah, blah, blah. Now these are the bullets that are going to hurt us. And da, da, da. he loved it. He loved it. <laughs> and I, I remember I made a comparison to, to Saddam Hussein when he invaded Kuwait. I said, this is just like when Hitler invaded the Rhineland. And, oh, man, he ate that shit up. He loved it because they all hate Hitler. Of course, everybody does. And so... I got an A in that class. So Columbia was so good for me. I got exposed to people of all walks, all areas. I desperately needed that. Even though I did come from a pretty diverse area of Atlanta, I learned so much about the world. And I remember my first girlfriend from Long Island going home with her for Thanksgiving and meeting her family. And her father looked at me and said, we hate the Irish. And I said, what's the Irish? I'm from the South. That, you don't know what that means. And he looks at me and he goes, you're the Irish. <laughs> I'm like, really? I'm, I'm Irish? So learned a lot. Hey, I love you, man. But anyway, learned how to so relate what, to a lot of different people, a lot of great experiences. And then the Richard James thing. Let me tell you how I became part of this group. I okay. was struggling after I started my law firm and I gave that poor lady a nervous breakdown and we had clients coming in out of our ears and made money the first couple of years, but then we plateaued and it's that grief. I've created so many headaches. And so I was praying and I had four kids, young kids at the time. And I told my wife, I got invited to this Dave Ramsey bankruptcy event and Dave Ramsey was going to change my life and everything was going to be smooth sailing afterwards. And it was going to be radically different. And I went to the event and it was great. It was a great event, but I knew quickly, this ain't it. This is not the change that I've been praying for and no burning bush, right? And so I had lunch with Jamie Miller. And for those of you who, who know Jamie, one of the nicest people on planet earth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Jamie, listen, I love you, man. And so Jamie says, Jeff, you got to meet. I was telling him that why I had come to the event and I was a little bit disappointed because I had this grand vision that the burning bush and he's like, you got to meet Richard James. I, I think he can really help you. And I'm like, what? Seriously? Pow, possibly, right? And we went to the event and you had that little cartoon thing going. I, I remember it, the little cartoon stick guy. And I'm like, holy shit, that's me. He's describing my life. The guy that's everybody's mad because he's always coming home late and too many appointments and the idea that you could live a better life with systems in place. Heck yeah, sign me up. I was gung-ho from day one. There's nobody in this group that loves this group more than me. A lot of people have honestly had way more success than I have. And not to make excuses or anything, but in my personal life, I have not made some of the best decisions. But I got to say this, that being part of a group like this, it learning about business, absolutely huge benefit. Learning about new technologies in a world that's changing super fast, woo, that's huge to me. But the, for me personally, the community thing, I've been had surrounded by a community of lawyers who have helped me through some really tough times in my life on a personal level. And so, yeah, the business is, I like that part. I like the fact that we've like tripled our business in the last 12 years or so since we've been part of this group. But that's not the big win for me is that I'm still sane or, or close to it. Way, way more sane than I otherwise would be because I like what Blaine Elker said once when he said, you're surrounded by people who don't want to see you lose.
who want to see you win. And that is huge and really hard to find as an attorney because there's, but there's a double edge to this. There's a double edged sword to this because yes, that's true. There's no doubt we've created yeah. a community that is, is what you said. And, and so we'll give credit where credit's due. However, they would not help you unless you're the right you. Yeah. And it's because of who you are and it's because of how much you give back and how much you serve and how much they see you're willing to do in your firm and take action and move the needle forward. You don't just listen to them and blow it off. You listen to them and you do something about it. And so anybody's willing to help anybody else as long as they're going to participate in being a willing participant. Nobody wants to be, nobody wants to feel like they have to drag somebody or, or better said, push right. a rope, right? Yeah. And so Jeff, you get the credit for being who you are. And, and it sounds like it's been a, based on the journey you just gave us. We, we can hear where you learned how to become the who you are. But I have, I have a question for you. I'm going to take you all the way back to that moment when you left your firm you were working for. It sounds like you've kind of always been in bankruptcy. That was your chosen practice area. And you were working for that other firm. And then you made the leap to go on your old firm before you hired the, the 73-year-old smoker or the person you drove to smoke again. And so there was that moment, that galvanizing moment when you said all right, I've got to do this. And so my question to you is, what is it that drove you? Was it that was it your desire to not want to be under somebody's thumb? Was it your witnessing that you could do it better than somebody else? Was it you just didn't like that you weren't in control of your destiny? What was it about your entrepreneurial spirit at that point that left you to open up your own firm? I loved the place where I was working and, and the people that I was working with, but yeah. there were always things that I wanted to do that are a little out of the box that not everybody wants to agree with, but something that used to, to drive me crazy when I worked at this particular firm is I would go out and just sign cases left and right and come home with a big pile of files and Yeehaw! Look at I did it, man. I'm bringing on the bacon for the firm. Yeah. And my coworkers would look at me and like, you effing asshole. Now I got to do all this work. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm like, I'm going to scream at you. And it was a culture that like, and that I just could not I didn't fit well with. Not unusual though, right? It's that operations versus sales. And you're a sales guy by nature, by heart. That's who you are. It's what you're really good at, whether you're selling a client as to why they should retain your firm or you're selling your teammates as to why they should be a part of your world or you're selling your compadres as to why they should try this new idea that you found or whatever. You're just a good salesperson in general. So Michael, let's get into the rest of your questions because I know we went down a rabbit hole there. Where do you want to go next? Yeah, a big question, Jeff, is because we heard a lot of the highlights there. What, what was one maybe low point or failure point, if you want to use harsh terms, and something you took from that moment? You're talking about like business-wise? Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah, we'll keep it business-wise on this, yeah. Well, you know, I don't know if this answers your question or not, but like when COVID hit, I was panicked. And, you know, again... I'm really grateful I was part of a community where people were going through the same stuff I was going through. And we did our PPP loan. I probably never would have known about PPP loans if I had not been part of this group. I had everything lined up perfectly, smooth, dotted the I's, crossed the T's. 
I definitely have had failures, some things that I've tried, but it's been great to be surrounded by other attorneys who have also been through it. You just mm-hmm. cannot. And also in my personal life, I've been divorced twice. Other attorneys groups have as well. Somebody who's like probably had a huge impact on my personal level spiritually is L.D. Holt. He's older than me and he knows things. He's been down the path and it has been so awesome to have people help me through troubled times. And when I was younger, the word failure was just like, ah, end of the world. And I've picked up from this group. Now this is education time. Now we know what doesn't work. Now we're this much closer to a higher level, to a better place. And that has been a revolutionary change for me. Some people are born with a negative bent. And when you go to law school, they train you to look for every little fault. It just happens. You're looking for every little, what could possibly go wrong? Mm -hmm. And I think that's why so many lawyers struggle with depression. Mm -hmm. This group is different. We don't look at failure at the end of the world. This is a life experience, education. You, again, I I thank you for the kudos on the group, but look, and, and this is a message for everybody listening. So I love this message that you just delivered to them because attorneys, yes, you're trained to find every little problem, but also you're trained to always get A's, like to be perfect, to ever get it all right all the time. And they expect you to have great grades and great scores to get into law school. And then they expect you to dot all the I's and literally cross all the T's and your briefs and your writings and make sure everything is perfect. And so there, this art of perfection and this art of failing is negative and not a good thing. And yet here you are, as an attorney, an accomplished attorney at what it is that you do, arguably one of the best in in your area at what it is that you do, yet you have the the wisdom now to be able to go, yeah, but I've learned that mistakes are a positive thing, not a negative thing, because it's this is learning time. This is where we're really going to make a difference and make a move. Your mentor that you talked about spiritually, L.D. Holt, he would say it's an inconvenience that's appropriate or an appropriate inconvenience, right? Something that inconvenienced you, you learn the lesson from, but there was some good on the other side of it. And so whilst you Mm -hmm. give the credit to the group for supporting you, Jeff, you had to be willing to come to that rationalization on your own, that this was the truth. And yes, it was because you were plugged into these people. But as people are listening to this, as, as another attorney, man or woman like you, sitting here listening to it, stuck on the fact that they never want to fail, stuck on the fact that they always got to be right, stuck on the fact that they can't possibly see the forest through the trees because they're in the middle of the war every single day. What's your message to them about learning the lessons of failure and, and how to keep going forward? Because that's a really important lesson, I think. My encouragement is this is part of life. You are going to get banged up. Mm-hmm. But I think something that I've learned from this group that was the most powerful thing for me is that you can change. You can move to a better level. And when when you're in the thick of it and your phones are blowing up and all this stuff is coming down, I I know that feeling like it's the end of the world. My life sucks. I'm in a prison. I'm never going to be able to get out of it. No, you can change that pattern. Maybe you can't do it overnight, Take a deep breath. Be patient. You can take control. You can do things better. You can create more margin in your life and you can get to a better place and you can have dreams and accomplish things that you otherwise never would have. I love it. Jeff, how about just 
what do you do on a daily basis that contributes to your continued success? What, what are maybe some of the habits you've got on a daily basis or one key habit that you have on a daily basis? I cannot remember his name at one of the EAY competitions, but he's an estate planning attorney, I think. And he gave us all a, a PDF and it's got those little things for doing your eight minutes on. Oh, and um, Jones? Yes. Hmm. And it was awesome. And I use that and I've tweaked it a little bit for myself. That eight minutes a day of write your journal, write down what you're grateful for. As Jim Rohn would say, setting your sale for the day. Now, I got to confess, I don't do this every day. Hmm. I try to, I want to, I need to. When I do it, I, I probably do it half the time. My day is so much better. Right. Oh my goodness. It is so much better when I get those eight minutes in the morning and analyze my day and I plan the steps. And I think Blaine quoted something like for every hour you spend planning, you're going to save four or five. He is so right. He is so right. And that's not something I am naturally wired to do. I am a carefree, woo, let's hit the ground. Let's go. Where's the wind going to take us today? That is a terrible way to live life. Planning, be methodical, repetitive, compound interest, good thing. Yeah, but give yourself, if it's not who you are, give yourself some grace around it too. And so yeah. take the wins that you take. Okay, I did it 50% of the time. Maybe next week I shoot for 60% of the time and maybe be a little bit better. But at the end of the day, none of us are going to be perfect, period. And there is no perfect answer to this. So be true to thine self, right? And I think that you do a great job of that. Yeah, I agree. And by the way, I'm not perfect at it either. But when I sit in that chair right over my shoulder every morning, and, and I'd say nine out of 10, I get it right. And I have my meditation app and I've got my remarkable and I've got my calendar and I just pull out my big rocks from the quarterly meetings and I pull out my to-do list and I meditate for somewhere between two and 12 minutes, depending on which one I choose for that day and, and how much time I have. And if I got some exercise in before that and I ate a regular good breakfast, boy, I tell you what, my day goes so much better. Everything about my day is better. Everything about it's it. I feel like I accomplish more. I don't feel like I get to the end of the day and go, man, I was so busy, but I don't know what I did. I just feel like the day went on plan and I ended well. And then I get to dinner and really feel stress-free and Starting the day right is a huge, great tip. Thank you for that. Thank you for saying that because, and no, I don't get it right all the time either, but that's okay too. That's okay too. Agreed. I love it, Jeff. I think that's super helpful. How you start your day makes a huge impact. Gives you more energy too. Just starting better gives you more energy throughout the day. What's got you fired up, Jeff? What are you excited about? Could be business, could be personal. What's got you excited today? I've really been excited about this for a while is chat GBT and AI and autom automation. And so I've really gotten into Zapier programming and mm -hmm. it just, I think it irritates the snot out of my poor wife because she is, you're an attorney. You're not a computer programmer. Stop trying to automate everything. <laughs> and I think we probably save, I, I, I bet we're up to 40 hours a week right now where we save time. Because when we get a court notice about the 341 hearing, somebody's got to go in and type that date in. Somebody's got to type in. Now we have to do Zoom IDs. We have to do the Zoom code. And if you're one digit off, oof, it won't work. So it's got to be perfect. And I mean, this fits right into automation where the mail parser just 
pulls that sucker out automatically, bam, spits in his Zapier, emails it directly to the client. Beautiful. So that's something I'm really excited about. I, I can't, yeah, some people are scared to death about this whole AI thing, mm -hmm. but I'm excited. I don't think the world's going to end. I think we're going to have all kinds of new inventions. I think our lives get better. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how this plays out. Yeah, me too. I, Michael and I, Michael has forcefully dragged me into AI faster than I probably would have, even though I'm fairly forward thinking. And we use it you know, just over the last weekend when nobody was answering the phones. I think we scheduled two or three appointments that we never would have scheduled had it not been for AI. And I'll dare say that I think if you're a small business owner now or a medium business, so it doesn't matter if you own a business now and you don't embrace the use of AI to save some hours in your team and to maximize conversion rates and all the things that it can do, I think you're going to get behind the eight ball really fast to your competition because they're going to be able to do things at a level that you're not going to be able to do. And they're just going to, it's going to save them time and money. And that time and money is going to be able to be reinvested into additional resources and marketing. And they're going to gobble up market share and you're going to lose faster than you think you can. You do need to be staying on the, the edge of it. Now, do you have to be the one doing it? No, you happen to like it. So I love that you do it. And I love that you've built a business that can have the time to do it. But somebody in your firm has got to take charge of that. And somebody's got to start looking at it, in my opinion. It's probably a whole other conversation for another time. But I agree with you. I think AI is very. Yes, it sure is. And yes, we could not only can it be a whole other conversation, it could probably be a seven day boot camp and we still wouldn't touch enough of it. Right. So, yes. Uh, but Jeff, look, we appreciate it. Thank you for just the different insights. This, this was a great episode. I, I really liked going through failure because it's something that many attorneys have a negative mindset toward, and it doesn't have to be. There is other ways to view that and change the perspective. So I appreciate you being willing to share your thoughts, your journey, your experiences today. And to the law firm owners listening, thank you for taking the time to listen or watch, depending on what platform you're on. If you enjoyed today, we have the gentleman's agreement around here. So we invest our time, money, and resources into this podcast, which we love to do. And we want to make sure we're bringing you value. So if you got value and this isn't your first time listening or watching, make sure you hit that subscribe or follow button, depending on where you're listening or watching and comment down below, show Jeff some love. Let us know if you got any questions. Jeff did awesome today. It was a pleasure having him. So just make sure to show a little bit of love over there, but Jeff, thank you. Thank you again. All right. Thank you, guys. All right. So, Jeff, for those dedicated hardcore, I'm going to go with a PS after Michael's close. So they'd have to listen to all the way to the end. Right. So now, PS, Jeff Kelly, somebody sitting in their chair, car, whatever, on a run, listening to this podcast, and they were hearing you and they're looking for that one nugget and they're trying to figure out where do I start first? If you're going to start them in one place to start working on building these systems in their firm, where do you point them? The very first place I think people should start is listening to their staff answer the phone calls. Because I remember when you told me to do that, mm. I said, Mr. Richard James, you don't understand. My staff loves me and I love them and they're doing it perfectly. I don't need to listen to them. But then I did it anyway and I about had a heart attack. And it was like, oh my gosh, how am I still in business? How have we made it with this person? I can't believe it. So the, the first impression of your law firm is the phones. It's the first place to focus on. And it one little tweak can make a huge improvement in 
your appointments, which means then the number of cases, which means then the revenue. And it's just like one domino after another that's just good for you. Jeff Kelly, you never disappoint, my friend. I didn't know what you were going to say, but you gave the perfect answer. Thank you for sharing your time with us today and with all of EA Nation. I appreciate you not only as a friend, but a member of our community and somebody who gives back in a big way. Thanks again for sharing today. I appreciate you. Give my best to Barbie. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Y'all have a good one.